0: Hi, this is John. And before we start the podcast today, it is uh, my privilege to have with me in Nashville. So we're not doing this over Skype or over the phone. I've got Justin and Jimmy here, our new host with us. If you've been listening to the podcast last few weeks, uh, we got to interview both of them. So gentlemen, it's good to have you here. It's good Good to be be here, here, man. Yeah, this is uh, we got to give Jimmy a little bit of a tour of downtown Nashville today. Along with our uh, record high heat.
1: Yeah. We're really Stupid glad hot. to uh, be able to experience that together. Yes. Record highs.
0: Yes, record yeah. highs. Had some tacos and uh, walked around amongst all of the construction. I felt like there was more construction than not that's going on in Nashville. We were Nashville talking right about
1: now. how Jimmy and I were talking about how our sons, a couple of our boys would be wigging out over all the heavy that's equipment. True. Oh, they have equipment. Yeah. And yeah. They, could, they could sit with popcorn all day. Like Magical. if you buy a
0: shirt of Nashville now, the cranes are kind of like staple, a part of the part of the, what do they call it? The, uh, the skyline? The skyline. There you yeah. go. It's crazy. So but, but while I have these guys here, and before we start our last episode with Ryan and Jeremy, I thought it would be helpful to you to hear about what's coming your way in the next few weeks. and two weeks, we're going to be launching the new podcast with these two guys. And guys, let's I give them a little bit of a hint of what's coming their way. So, so three church planners who are very excited about leading people to rest in Christ. We meet a lot of people who are either new to Christianity or come from an evangelical background. And we say the word Reformed, and they kind of look at us like, what are you talking about?
1: Like, like, bro, yeah. like, I don't even have those categories. Like, (laughs) help me out. Mm -hmm. So what we're hoping to do with the first series of episodes is to do a kind of introduction to Reformed theology. So we're going to be taking on topics like Calvinism, covenant theology, the redemptive historical framework of the bible right. law gospel distinction all that good stuff and
0: and if you've just heard all those words and yeah, have and you're no like, idea then tune in exactly and and the Stay reason is is that these actually all matter as it they comes do. to resting and understanding Amen. your assurance in Christ.
1: Absolutely. And so, yeah, we're going to be talking about those things, certainly talking about them from the perspective of doctrine, but also from a pastoral perspective, like you just said, John, helping people see why this stuff really matters for my Tuesday morning yeah. and trusting and resting in Christ. And and yeah, we're excited to get behind the microphone and have some of these conversations. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, and as you said, John, we're church planters or in the process of planting a church. And a lot of these, if you've listened to our interviews, a lot of the themes that we're talking about are not just out there theological topics. They're deeply personal. That's right. For mm. all of us around this table, those theological truths really change our life. Absolutely. And that's what yeah. drives us to share these with others. So we're really excited to be sharing about these different themes. And so when people ask, you know, what is your church about? What is this podcast about? Who are you guys? What... What are you talking about? We hope that the next few episodes really point people in that direction.
0: Yeah. Right. And if you're hearing a bunch of weird, strange noises while Jimmy is talking, we apologize. But the only location we could find <laughs> for this trip is my basement. So the, yeah. the there's the all kinds of- a little creaky <laughs> around the <laughs> theological picnic
1: table. That's yeah. true. <laughs> That's exactly right.
0: Yep. Uh, and I think the the tone that we want to leave you with is the idea of these theological truths are not high tower only for theologians and pastors, mm-hmm. but we believe it's for every single person and to encourage them, as we would like to say, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Yeah, so for those of you who desire to know more about Christ, who are intrigued by historic faith, and especially for those of you who may struggle with your assurance, mm-hmm. uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to Jimmy's um, interview on that. These truths will help you find a solid, firm foundation. So where you can truly not only enjoy Jesus, mm-hmm. but also rest in his finished work. So yeah, I know. speaking of uh, this next podcast is going to be about the callings of Jesus and how we can turn these who tend to be law passages into gospel passages. So we hope you enjoy this last podcast with Ryan and Jeremy, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Theocast: Brief
2: musings on eternal matters from a reformed perspective. If you're new to Theocast, we'd invite you to visit theocast.org. You can find previous episodes, some blog articles. You can even find our free primer on Pietism. It's a uh, a short read that uh, you can download. Very short, very, very short, but uh, very useful, very profitable. It'll. Uh, we were just talking about that. Someone who had read that a while ago and. And uh, it was their introduction to us because yeah. they were given them. Someone used the it as a track. Yeah. It gives you a lot of uh, information and understanding. Hang that out of Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> understanding some of the terms that we talk about here on the podcast. We also have another book, which is a little bit longer. A little bit. Just it, it is much longer. Uh, it's Pilgrim's Guide to Rest, and we'd encourage you uh, to check that out. You can find that on Amazon as well. We also have our Total Access Membership which as the name implies gives you total access to everything that is on the website from our educational series, uh, all episodes, all 170 plus episodes and, uh, what we call all our, our unfiltered portion of the podcast, which gives you a little extra time that we add to the end of a podcast where we say things that, uh, maybe we didn't have time to say in the regular podcast or sometimes we
0: just keep the good stuff. Yeah.
2: Or we couldn't say <laughs> we, we, uh, we loosen up
0: a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever let those go public. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> Maybe not ever.
3: No way. If
2: you want to contact us, you can call us at 615 212 9212. We'd love for you to take about 30, 30 seconds, seconds. 30 seconds. Leave us a question. And we do uh, actually use those questions uh, usually about once a month. Yep. We'll do a podcast dedicated to your questions. Alone. With that said, around the theological octagon today, occupying three sides of it, are Ryan Haskins, John Moffat, and myself, Jeremy Litz.
0: Awesome,
3: Johnny. You get cultural update, man. I do. Yeah, I
2: what's, guess I do what's, have cultural what's, update what's going on
0: in your world, um, man. Well, uh, we're getting into spring, and I spend a lot of my week now pushing back weeds and yeah. trees and <laughs> my kids were out gardening yesterday. So we were getting all that tore up. And
3: uh, I thought, I, I thought when you said spring and that you spent a lot of time, the next thing was going to be golf. Uh, no, which ensures no. what you wish you could be yes. doing. No, yeah. So I saw a video that I thought of you the other day. It was a YouTube video. It was uh, if you shoot a golf ball at 500 miles an hour and you hit a, a wall or the surface, what does the golf ball do? And it was really fascinating and they couldn't, they like a, a ball from like 30 years ago, they at 500 miles an hour, it explodes all the rubber bands break, Whoa. but a ball, and it was actually five, it was 400 miles an hour. Cause they couldn't get it above that, but a new ball at 400 miles an hour, doesn't explode, but deforms. And then they reversed it and shot the ball at a club at 400 miles an hour and <laughs> <laughs> and it demolished the club. <laughs> so basically, it was just talking about the science of how fast can you hit this ball yeah. before it breaks. And the only reason they couldn't get a new ball to break was because their machine, couldn't it, it, it looked enough. like a potato cannon of some kind, <laughs> really big, powerful potato cannon. They couldn't get it fast enough.
0: Yeah, but I thought so, of you. I'm about to go armadillo hunting. Ar- mm. Armadillo hunting? Because my yard has about 50 holes in it right now. That's I- moles. No, they're so they Armadillos? go. Yeah, what they do is they come out and they dig holes for worms mm-hmm. and they'll oh. dig straight down. So they're big holes like the size of your foot. So we have, you know, high schoolers out playing games and <laughs> they're going to be twisting ankles. So the former owner told me he would sit out at night with a spotlight and then he'd find it, leave the light off, then run out with a shotgun and shoot it. <laughs> So I need I, to, I
2: got another one honey I got to get it I a, got me one I bet you know I bet carry, that's good
0: eating Do you know they carry leprosy like yeah. a form of leprosy mm-hmm. yeah. No yeah I learned that I didn't know that <laughs> If you start turning white I'm going to It has something to do, do with, with you know. their b- body temperature
3: Oh Yeah so Do you know that if if you drive over one and they roll up in a ball and then they and you hit it they'll bounce up and actually break like the under like all the oil pan like oh, their yeah. shell is hard enough that you they
0: can really it will reflect a 22 like I've heard people go to shoot them with a 22 Ding. and it bounces off. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. Uh um, Wow. Yeah. I need a 30 hot to watch the ricochet. <laughs> I did not grow up around a gun, so this is all this is all new for me. But Have we ever talked about Yeah, we've talked about killing animals on the show cuz I've I've been deer hunting. Yes. Yeah. No, we have There's Somebody
3: uh, out there that is offended. I sorry. know,
0: I apologize. So they're just big rats is all they are. They're huge <laughs> rats. The other thing is, so little side note, I went exploring the other day. I have a zero-turn lawnmower, and I have an old logging trail behind my property. And I'll, I'll mow it so my kids can go on, on the trails. Uh, I'm mowing it, and I'm like, that's a trail over there that I've never seen before. So I just take my mower down it. And about a mile or two later, I am apparently still on my property. I am like in this glen. And it's beautiful. It looks like the Bambi Glen. You know, it's like this beautiful scene. And I think the former owner turned it into like a hunting scene because there's a hidden, like a blind blind over there. And anyways, it has become my new favorite spot. A little Glen, yeah. Have you heard this word, Jer? Glen? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Okay. (laughs) I heard the word Glen. You know what a Glen is? No, like Glen. Anyways, so (laughs) that's where Bambi
2: and his mom go out. But if, yeah, if
0: you guys want to like, if you guys want to camp for free and it's close by, you can't see or hear anything. You're surrounded by big old rocks and trees. It's beautiful. Anyways, when I found it, I, I got even more excited about living out in the middle of nowhere. There we go. So. It's got his perks. I know. I told it. To try to, to uh, uh, begin to armadillo hunting and glens. <laughs> <laughs> I told my wife, I was like, we could have our own like bluegrass hoedown out here. She just laughed. <laughs> and you were serious. Oh, totally. You were like, hey, totally. we're like- my son's learning the banjo right now, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I love it. Love it. So, anyways, okay. cool. So, what are we talking about today? Because it's probably not going to be glens or hunting. Or armadillas. For those of you that skipped that part, welcome to Theocast, (laughs) (laughs) which I do. Anytime someone sends me a podcast to listen to it, I skip the first 15 minutes and then I just get into like, if I can't understand, I'll go back. So anyways, yes, what are we talking about today? Uh, so we are going to be examining not all, but some of the callings of Jesus, the call to follow Jesus. And this is where if you are new to Theocast, one of the things that we are trying to help evangelicals understand is that when you look at the gospel, there is a difference between, sorry, when you look at the Bible, there's a difference between the gospel. That is good news of what Christ has done for us and the law, which is what we must do to earn God's favor or to earn God's acceptance or the requirement to be righteous. And the, it can be very confusing with Jesus because people walk up to him and say, master, What must I do to enter the kingdom? And we assume, if anybody walks up and asks us, hey, John, how do I get saved, that we are going to end up giving them a gospel presentation. But Jesus doesn't necessarily always make it that simple. Uh, There tends to be law or there tends to be gospel, but the context is what kind of demands it. And then there could be even a mixture of of uh, first law, then gospel. So what I thought would be helpful is to walk through some of the more famous callings of Jesus and help us identify two things. Um, one, law, gospel, and then number two, something that Luther really kind of regained right after he posted the 95 Thesis. He was asked to kind of come defend his theology, and he presented a new concept, which is really a biblical concept, which is a theology of glory mm-hmm. versus a theology of the cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to kind of work through these callings of Jesus and identify law, gospel, glory versus cross. So, so I think the easiest one, um, just to
3: point out, I would I would also say, excuse me, that it's the most popular is Matthew eleven. Come unto me, all who labor and are here (laughs) late, weary. Try that again, Early, early morning. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, this is Jesus looking at a crowd, no doubt, and is saying to them, "Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden." And I, whether they raise their hands or not, or whether you, you know they started walking forward, it was the it, 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 that was the call of, "I'm over here. This is this is what you need." Um, but as John pointed out. This call is all gospel. It's all grace. It is, it's very clear. If you are tired, if you are weary, if you are sick and tired of trying to keep up with the, uh, religious act and rights that you have to go through, if you are at this point where you're like, I can't do it, well, then come to me because right. that's exactly why I'm here. But not all the calls are that way. Some of the calls have some very interesting, um, opening lines yeah. and it's, and, and if, we have a tendency of interpreting all of the calls like we interpret Matthew 11. Like, oh, well, if Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, well, then, and that's all gospel. We just have to do that. We just have to come. We just have to lay aside those burdens and go, I is all I need is Christ. Well, then, even when it says you have to, what's the next one? Hate your father and mother? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? You can only – if if you don't hate your father and mother, you can't come after me. So now is that? Yeah. Is hating your father and mother grace? Is, yeah. is that gospel as well? Is that something that I have to do mm-hmm. in order to come to Christ? Because I love my mom and dad. I don't hate them at all. So have I not sufficiently come to Christ? Yeah. One,
2: well, one thing, just further comment on what you just read Matthew, uh Matthew 11. Um, I guess this goes to also the – The, the black letters in your Bible are just as important as the red letters in your Bible sort of thing, right? (laughs) We, we read Christ's statements with an understanding of the, the entirety of scripture and Mm -hmm. especially the New Testament. But as he goes, as he goes into that line it's just that passage is filled with gospel language where he's, where he's praying to his father says, I thank you, father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. And that just echoes so much of what Paul says. in you know, first yeah. Corinthians and Paul, Paul telling the churches about God making known to us, the mystery of his will. And it's, yeah, it's not through the, the wisdom of man. Well, yeah. yeah, it's not through the wisdom of man, but of God, and it seems foolish. Um, but this all, there's just rich, even in the following verses there, that whole passage is just bleeding yeah. gospel reality.
0: Yeah. So in, in Jesus' ministry, he, he had two categories of people. Ryan pointed this out uh, a couple episodes ago, and it was helpful for me. A great observation. He, basically, Jesus was dealing with antinomians mm-hmm. and legalists, mm-hmm. right? So the antinomians were the sinners he was uh, eating with and drinking with, and then who was being upset about jesus spending all this time with these antinomians Mm -hmm. which is the legalists and he is in a context of people who are kind of i would say stuck in between they're not an antinomian they're not a legalist but they're definitely being beaten down by the law matthew 11 here is a helpful context that's who he's speaking to he looks to those who the pharisees are just driving into the ground and he said listen you have attempted to earn your right standing before God. And if you are tired of that,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. and if
0: you are weary of dealing with your sin on that level, then come to me. And I love what he says. I will give you rest in the call of the gospel and the call that often um, we hear from people around the evangelical world is not a call to rest. It's a call to labor. Mm-hmm. And I know that people say, well, we're supposed to strive and we're supposed to work. Well, yes, there there is that, but not when it comes to your standing. Your standing is a place of resting. Your work is different. This is when Jesus then shifts and says, now the work I do have for you is nothing compared to what you've been experiencing. It's yeah. light. There's, it's an interesting thing to observe when Jesus talks to the the,
3: the various people he comes in contact with um i like that that uh description that you gave of there are the antinomians you know the lawless people who he's he's and this is where people or they accuse him of of eating with tax collectors and drunkards and it's well you know they don't care about the law and they're clearly opposed to it and then on the complete opposite side as you said there's the pharisees they they strive to keep the law and then there's the people in the middle Who, in my opinion, are the, are the, um, the most abused in that way that when he's, but when, when Jesus speaks to the people in the middle, it's with the most grace. When Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, though, and to the leaders, it, 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 it is the, it is the hardest to hear because what he is, what he is calling them to is admit that, um, you have to admit that what you're doing doesn't mean anything and what you're doing isn't saving you. And what you're doing is is fruitless. You have to admit that all of the all of the 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 principles and leadership and planning and time and energy and and resources that you've put into this is a, is um, insufficient at justifying yourself. And you need me. And he is the most dogmatic over that does nothing. All of that work does nothing. And it's and I I also think it's the most offensive because those are the people that have the most to lose. Because he is looking at them and going, okay, if you think that you – and and so this even goes into the law-gospel distinction and the theology of the cross and theology of glory that we'll unpack um, as we move towards this. But the religious elite and Pharisees and those leaders, they're living a theology of glory because what they're using religion to uh, glorify their own name, and they're using religion – uh to check the boxes which is following the law and so jesus is it points to them and goes that isn't glory that isn't helpful if you want to keep those laws you can keep those laws you're not going far enough that's right and so that's why so many of jesus calls it it does begin with law because what it says is you're not going far enough if you want you know this is the rich young ruler if you want to live that way if you think you can justify yourself well, by all means, go for it. That, that option's on the table, but you haven't done it because you need to forsake everything. Go sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. No. And so we read that and go, that's what has to happen. No, Jesus is, is speaking in law terms because what he's doing is holding up the mirror to their life and saying, if this is how you want to act, I'll treat you that way. If you, if you want to assume that you can save yourself, great. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the resources on how to save yourself. You're not going far enough. You have to do even more. So, this balance of understanding who, not only what Jesus is saying, but who his audience is, is so important because if you just assume everyone is the like, every, everyone is a weary pilgrim, you're going to start abusing the weary pilgrim because the weary pilgrim, it, like, they're the people going, No, I can't do this. Right. I can't keep up with the Pharisees. Yeah. They prove that. They don't need to know what they need to do. They need to know, Oh, here's how I can rest in Christ. Yeah.
0: It's a condition of man. Issue in yeah. particularly in Matthew 11. So we've been mentioning theology of cross, theology of glory. This is, uh, you know, Luther's, uh, coming, uh, a theology where, uh, if those of who embrace the theology of glory, it is you are lessening the condition of man and you are high, uh, you're raising the ability of man. So those who think that we have the capacity to produce righteousness, to do good, it's a very Arminian in nature theology where you do not assume that. You are depraved, but you are just broken. You you, you can come to God at a certain level. Mm-hmm. So in the context, you have Jesus, who is dealing with people on the other end, theology of the cross, where they understand that they are absolutely unable to produce. They see their condition. They're depressed by it. They are suppressed by it. And Jesus says, okay, now you understand. Because where does Jesus constantly point to? I am on my way to the cross, mm-hmm. right? And he uses this language later on in Matthew. But it the the call to Jesus is a complete abandonment of self. It's those who have come to the end of themselves. The rich young ruler, when he stands before Jesus, he is not at the end of himself. Yeah. Of course, Jesus knows this. So what does he do? He pushes them even harder and says, go do the impossible before you come follow me. Yeah. Well, to say it positively, with this theology of glory, theology of the cross, Jesus is
3: de- is declaring to these people, "You are never going to get above the n- the need for the cross." And we want to get away from the cross because it's foolish. That's what First Corinthians one says. We want to to glory in ourselves and go, "Ah, oh, look, I can finally get away from from the blood and sacrifice and misery and hum- and-, and humility that was that was demonstrated there on the cross." And yet what Luther points out and clearly what scripture points out is man never leaves their need for the, 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 the utter inability to save themselves, which points to the cross. Mm-hmm. We never get past the point. I don't care how long you've been serving Christ, how g- good, and put that in quotes, how good you are, what you have done, how many people that you have led to Christ. There is no moment in time when you uh can ever walk away from calvary and say I, it's, it's it's enough yeah we are always at the foot of the cross going i need that doesn't matter what we've done
2: so talking about this if we flip forward uh matthew 16 and i'm going to read this a little bit out of order i think just to help with our understanding in the conversation here um Christ says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That's kind of, it's that rhetorical question that we're talking about right now. You know, we have nothing to offer in return for our soul. We have nothing that we we can set forward to make ourselves right before God. Mm -hmm. But leading into this is uh, Peter's rebuke. Uh, You know, this is after Peter... Famously confesses Jesus to be the Christ, the son of God. (laughs) Then Christ says, yeah, now I'm going to tell you plainly what that looks like. I'm going to be turned over to the elders and they're going to kill me. Hmm. And then Peter takes him aside. Like, oh, I need to correct Jesus here. (laughs) Peter (laughs) takes him aside and rebukes him for saying, far be it for you, Lord, this shall never happen to you.
0: Can you imagine?
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I think I'm that dumb as well. Yeah, like I exactly. love Peter I'm like, I would do that. Half the stuff he says, I'm like, yep. You and me both, but, we would jump that, but but jump that you gun jump that. gun. you imagine that
0: moment later on in G- Peter's life? He's like, man, I can't believe I did that.
3: <laughs> can you imagine that moment? It's recorded in the Gospels. You'd be like, right. oh, shoot, now that's in writing. <laughs> yes. well, the church history's going to know about that. He's going to be the guy in heaven that goes, I know, Matthew, I know. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew, what were you thinking? Come on, man. At that point. <laughs> You just own it. Yeah, that's me. Be <laughs> like, yeah, I'd deal with it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then Christ says, you know, "Get behind me, Satan! You are a hindrance uh, to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." And this again goes right back to you know the the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. But then Jesus told his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Peter was very uh, offended by Christ's statement about what was going to happen, enough so that he took the Son of God over to rebuke him. But that statement about taking up your cross, that in, in itself, and this is going to Luther's theology of the cross rather than a theology of glory, Taking up your cross for people who lived where you go along the road and you see people hanging on the cross, mm-hmm. that is utter foolishness. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Taking up our cross and following you? That's crazy.
0: Yeah. This is uh, Philippians 1 when he says, not only has God chosen you for eternal life, but also to suffer mm-hmm. for my sake. So we, th- the theology of glory is if you follow Jesus, your life will get better. And it will improve. And a theology of the cross is: if you follow Jesus, it is full of pain, suffering, and sorrow. Sharing well, in his sharing suffering. Well, in his suffering.
3: Okay, even yeah, I totally agree that this is You better not disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Here is a pushback. No, it's not unfiltered yet. <laughs> it's not. No. Okay, let's consider this. I've never I've never thought about this. I am going to work this illustration oh, out this as I awesome. go. This is good. This will be like a little taste of unfiltered, where I could say something <laughs> completely wrong. Probably won't put yourself in the in the shoes of Peter um never consider that he would walk around in life and see people on a cross on crosses and um in this and I'm sure he did this because he was just as human as I am, and i I do this where I'll see somebody in a in a in in a compromising situation in a in a bad situation, and I'll go ha you deserve to be up there. Because of your foolishness and your stupid decision-making and your sin and because of what you've done, you deserve to be up there. And, and it's almost in a mocking – like my heart is mocking. Like, ah, better you than me. am sure Peter felt that way with crosses because crosses for them were the lowest of the low. Only the non-Roman citizens who did the um, unthinkable acts and then got caught in it were put on crosses. And so yeah, Jesus is now saying, okay, if you don't take up your cross, it is calling Peter to if you don't take up a life that will be looked at as foolish and mocking. And other people will look at you and see it and go, How could you? Why would you? Why would you do such why would you throw your life away? And it's a call to selflessness. And then and I don't want to the gospel is not a um it, it doesn't mean if you believe the gospel that you're, you inherently have to look like a complete fool and be a, a complete fool. But there is, a, there is a reality here where Peter wanted to uh in, increase his name, mm-hmm. and that's really why he goes, don't kill yourself. Like, bad idea, like, son of God coming, probably not the best way to get glorious to kill yourself. He's trying to increase Jesus' name, and Jesus says, no, if, you're going to, if I'm going to increase my name, I'm going to look like a fool. And so I know that the whole being a fool for Christ thing has been like, back when I was in high school, that was the biggest thing in the world, being a fool for Christ. And it, it, it's true, but there is a, the, the side of Jesus and the theology of the crosses. the world, other people will look at you and scratch their head and go, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. And yet that's, but yet Jesus calls us to foolishness in the sense that we don't, we don't allow the world to set our standard. We don't allow the world to tell us how we're saved. We don't allow the world to to say what is right or wrong. We, we look to Christ.
0: Yeah. This leads me right into John 12, kind of where I've been going through John. I just preached on John 12 this last week. And in, in context, Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave and all these people are, it says, John says they're following after him and the Pharisees are livid. They, they literally say, which is a, maybe a little bit of an overstatement, the whole world is going after him. And it was their world because If they're leaving these uh, leaders and following Jesus, there's going to be a divide in Israel and the Romans are going to come in and just squash it and be like, no, if you all can't govern yourself. So the the Pharisees are are nervous about losing their, their wealth, their fame, and their control. And that's the context where Jesus steps in and these Greeks want to come talk to Jesus and uh, that Jesus uses this opportunity to say, "Okay, my hour is, is now at hand. Like this is this is the moment where I'm going to be put on the cross." And in this context, he he tells uh, Peter and or sorry Philip and Andrew, he says, "Whoever loses his life, and who I'm sorry, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life." That is. You know, that is hard calling and saying of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what you end up hearing is, okay, we need to be in absolute self-debasement. We need to be abandoning everything. Later on, in other passages, he says, unless you hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I mean, that, that is a hard calling. Well, I, I, what's, uh, if you don't look at who Jesus is responding to, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So you have Pharisees who want to kill him because they are more interested in their own life they have created, mm-hmm. right? So these men are so excited about their own life, they want to put Jesus' life away. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is looking at this context, looking at these men, looking at the people around him, and he says, Oh, <laughs> if you truly understand your standing before our Father, what the law should parade in your heart, theology of the cross you would hate your life because there's nothing in your life that brings god pleasure nothing and the person who finds themselves there that person will save their life but if you're trying to preserve this life of righteousness you have created you're going to lose it it's a theology of cross versus theology of glory and in context this is not jesus saying those of you who can figure out how to do this it's those of you who <laughs> who rightly see and acknowledge yourself in that way you understand the gospel. Because then he follows up and says this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Well, you know, that's very sanitized for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have the Pharisees publicly saying, this is in John 11, if you find Jesus, you let us know because we want to capture him and kill him. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is saying, okay, so they want to capture me and kill me. But if you're going to say you're going to serve me, You have to follow me. And that means to death. Well, no one in their right mind would do that unless what? John 6. Yeah. The father draws him. It's also one of these things where you just think of the
2: disciples reflecting upon these uh, sayings from Christ. They didn't follow him to the cross. No. They fled in every direction. And it wasn't their faithfulness them following them him even to the foot of the cross that saves them it's the fact that he died on the cross. That's right. Which he goes on in that very passage, the Son of Man must be lifted up. This is th- th- this that's the gospel.
0: That's right.
2: He's saying follow me. And they and they ended up following him after the fact because they lived status forward, which we talk about a lot here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But in the actual event of the cross, they were running away. Mm-hmm. They were afraid for their own lives, and they did not even want to be, as we see with Peter's denials, they didn't even want to be associated
0: with him. That's right. Yeah, and and I think it's important. Sometimes we read the gospel from a um, lack of morality or um, Jesus is dealing with people who are what we call – back row Christians are, you know, slacking Christians. So he's really trying to get people to get serious about him. Like, you need to, to, to abandon all of this worldliness that you're in and you need to come follow me. Well, later on in the new Testament, Paul does deal with worldliness and people who do need to repent and they are babes in Christ and they need to be growing in their faith. But that's not what Jesus is dealing with. He's not dealing with people who won't take him serious. He's dealing with people who won't believe in him.
3: I, I think we we read the New Testament and especially the words of Jesus w- with our own context in mind. That's right. Yeah. And only our context in mind. Because as a pastor, if, if if we're counseling somebody, somebody's stuck in sin, uh, we're going to respond to that person in, in a, a variety of ways. It's actually a very fluid conversation because – if the person is, is stuck in sin, blind to sin, and it's the hundredth conversation, and they think that they know better, I'm going to be far more uh, direct and um, dogmatic than if it's somebody who's new to Christ and, or is, is trying with all their might to do the right thing. But they, they need a little encouragement and just a little reminder, I'm going to be far more gracious and soft. But the 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 ending is the same. Hey, it's sin. Stop. When Jesus is walking around, I love that you bring that you brought up a couple times. That understand the audience because we all have our favorite. Our man, I cannot talk today. We all have our favorite "Come unto Me" verse, right? And some of it's weary and heavy laden. And I agree. The people who go to weary and heavy laden, like myself, are those who are weary and heavy laden over religion, and they go, "Yeah, religion sucks." Because religion is all about doing, 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 and it doesn't do. And and I've done that, and that leaves me still doing and, and exhausted. And the the those are the people that like they need to hear come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, because they are. But then there are some that are the religious elite, even in our day. They're not called Pharisees, but they they carry they carry themselves as if they're Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And we probably all have that Pharisaical person in our life that they are quick. To tell us what we should and should not do, and they carry around all of the all the resources and they can quote all the guys who are going to tell us how to make our, our life better. And what they need to hear is, well, why don't you sell all your possessions? You're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. And so we and so in the same way that Which is offensive. Which is offensive <laughs> to them because they're like, I'm not doing enough. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm doing, doing more, it all.
0: I'm doing more than
3: most. And that's where I would say, but it doesn't matter because it's not what you do, it's what Christ has done. And what we can – the mistake we can make from just – this is uh, hermeneutics 101, reading the Bible 101. The mistake we can make is by assuming that every time something is said, it, we, we interpret it through one lens and that it's just gospel. Everything that Jesus says is gospel. That's right. And everything that – every time that Jesus talks to somebody, that, that person's me. And every time that Jesus is saying something, it's, it's, it's how I want to interpret it. That's not the way scripture – works at all that's definitely not the way jesus works he was a real person interacting with real people and when the gospel writers recorded that they understood that to the woman at the well very gracious to the rich young ruler not so much no to the pharisees mean mean, I mean and, and and at that and i look at that and go yeah because he's hurting jesus sheep and he walks in and goes how could you be the religious astute and and just lay bondage on these people. So uh, kind of on top of all of this. When you're looking at the law gospel distinction. When you're looking at the theology of the cross and theology of glory. The other thing you have to consider when you're reading these is. Who's he talking to? And it may not be you. You may hear some of these things and go. Well actually I don't need the, hairy and heavy, the weary and heavy laden one. I need the. I'm probably not doing enough if I'm trying to save myself. So you may be the rich young ruler, which means you're going to hear that and go, oh, that one needs to hit me like law. Or yeah.
0: you may be the weary pilgrim. Yep. And I think there's a uh, – one of the things that I've been working with in, in, in my men's Bible study and even in my preaching is helping people understand the difference between your status and your responsibility. Uh, we uh, Theocast. We often I've been tagged and I've seen it. We get accused of being the Lawless Boys or you know the Antinomians. And I think people are just. Confused. That'd be a great band name, <laughs> the, the Lawless Boys. Boys. <laughs> just and, saying, you can take it. You can take it, and that way we, we can't be it. Yeah, there you we go. We're not. Uh, and, and there's a confusion behind trusting and emphasizing our status, not to the exclusion of our responsibility. We we've never said that. Um, as a matter of fact, there's there's a strong emphasis of understanding the purpose of the church. Uh, one of these examples was that this passage was kind of given to me recently, saying, "Well, how do you how do you respond to this?" So I'm gonna just read it to you, and then I think it'll fit into the context of the call to status, and then the understanding that Jesus says there's burden after. Yeah. So Second uh, Peter one, I'll just start in verse three. He says, "His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us." To his glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Okay, so what is he doing? Our status before God is through what the promise is given to us and those promises are I've done all the work now trust in that through faith. Mm -hmm. So then Peter says for this very reason the promises that are yours, your status, mm-hmm. which is secure. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Where's the foundation? Faith is the foundation. Supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, why does he say this? He doesn't just stop. These are not your personal calls to personal holiness. There's a reason for these. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was once cleansed. He's saying they forgot the cross. Mm-hmm. He was once cleansed from these former sins. Mm-hmm. They, so, they wanted to get away from the shame of the cross. Exactly. So he, he starts with the cross. He ends with the cross. And he says, listen, if, if this is true to your faith, you're not adding these works to save yourself he's saying you are adding these works for the effectiveness of the gospel that must go out yeah it has nothing to do with your standing as we said before as jeremy said it's status for it my status is com- is secure and now because of that i'm going to add virtue and kindness and love towards one another yeah
3: so i'm just about to write an hfg or home fellowship group lessons for our church and uh, we're we're going through our next series is going to be on the church just kind of a, a primer on it for our people um, and one of them is going to be on church discipline. What is it? A lot of people see church discipline, they haven't, it's, it's especially in a context of grace mm. and it's a, it's a it, it curveball. It's like, what that didn't expect that. What are you talking about? Grace and now you're disciplining and it's public, this, you're publicly ridiculing people for sin. Like that makes no sense. Right. And if you look at Matthew 18 and if you look at 1 Corinthians 5, 6, 5 or 6, um, you, 5. You can see, you, I think first Corinthians, first Corinthians. Uh, you can see that church discipline is a real and genuine thing. If somebody's caught in sin, call them out. If somebody's caught in sin, say, go to them, you know, as one on one, bring a brother, bring the elders, tell the church why not to ridicule, but to, but to demonstrate to them that you are blinded by this and what you need once again is the same thing you needed at the beginning you need the cross even as even as Paul says give them over to satan kick them out of the church give them over to satan and you may go cuz you know that, that what Paul's not saying there is damn you right what Paul is saying there is give them over to satan so that they can realize that their sin that their actions are going to leave them helpless and it will turn them back to Christ he goes so that they so that it will save their soul Come in the, the end of themselves. in the day of vindication i believe that's the wording there and, and yet that is exactly what so much of, of, of what, what the law does and what Jesus is doing is in these law gospel distinctions of give them law, give them, show them that the end of that is hopelessness. The end of that is, is not what they expected and hopes that at the end of the law, what they realize is I can't do it. And then they run back to Christ. Yeah. And so that's why this law gospel distinction is so important. That's why the law was was given again in Exodus it was, it was it was a republication of the law when in the Mosaic covenant, so that the people of Israel could go. I we can never be good enough to stand before the Lord. And then what does He do? He immediately gives them a sacrificial system because what you need is a theology of the cross. You need the shame of all of these sacrifices. Because why, when you can't keep the law like you should, what I, where I've given you grace is the sacrifice.
0: Yeah, to, I, I think it's so helpful. So being able to hear, we didn't cover every single calling of Jesus, but being able to understand now that you can kind of take a, is this, is Jesus putting in the possibility of the law on them or is Jesus giving them the gospel? Right now I'm, I'm writing out the gospel for a project that I'm working on. And what's been interesting for me, is i 've been reading different gospel messages and and we even in our gospel <laughs> like gospel presentations, we still make them we still make it law, yeah because think of it this way, and this is an illustration I use in my in my uh project i 'm working on is we hear gospel and the gospel should be the message of how God saves sinners, and it's technically gospel means good news, right. But when we then share the gospel, it doesn't sound like good news. It sounds like you're telling people, you need to come this direction, and if you come this direction, then God will save you. And that is this that is similar of standing on the shoreline, shouting at a drowning victim who just took their last breath and yell at them and say, if you swim this direction, Mm -hmm. you'll be saved. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. All you did for them was confirm they couldn't do it for themselves, and then they died. Well, the gospel should be that breath of fresh air that goes, I can't do that, and he did it for me, and there's nothing left to do. That is the gospel. If you don't clarify that when you're listening to Jesus speak, you're going to be confused. And this is why it's so important to look at context before and after when you're thinking about a law gospel slash theology of glory i can do this versus theology of cross i can't do this
3: Ooh, okay here's here's this illustration as we close because i know we're at the end the gospel is a drowning victim in an infinite ocean and humans do not live in the sea obviously because we need air but we can't swim any longer and the gospel comes over and puts an infinite scuba tank on you <laughs> and saying okay you're going to be in the water because you're in a state of sin here's air and it's air that you can't, you can't produce, you can't give. You could it, Jesus shoves not it in your, your tank, mouth. Not your air. It's yeah. not your tank. Not your air. But Jesus shoves it in your mouth and going. Now you're a new creation. Something unique. You're an animal that doesn't, shouldn't swim in the water, but you exist in the water. And that 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 will run out when I take you out of the ocean and put you on on, on land in the new heavens and new earth. And that that illustration. Probably half, half, <laughs> mostly works.
2: It works. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> One last thing as we close build off that illustration and another uh, illustration we've used before. But, you know, the the scene before Christ talks to the rich young ruler is the little kids coming to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we, you know, we talk about, you know, oh, so faith like little children. And, you know, we try to think about what that faith looks like. He's saying the people in my kingdom have nothing to offer. You see these little children and you want to chase them away from the great teacher because they have, no, they have nothing to offer in society. My kingdom is made up of people who have nothing to offer. So, yeah. so there's the air tank. The, 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 chi, the little children are us, the drowning victim who just need the fresh air of the gospel. Then the rich young ruler comes into the scene and he says, I have a lot to offer. So what does Christ do for him? Go into our other illustration. Here's a uh, outboard motor, put this on your back. <laughs> okay. You, you want to, you want to keep doing that, go for it. And of course, since he's not a vessel designed for an outboard motor, it just sinks. That's right. That's what the law does. And it reveals you think you're good with God. I'm going to give you a little bit more and show you just how much of an enemy of God you really are. Yeah. And, and, and so doing point out your great need for a savior. Yeah. So that you realize, oh, I actually have nothing to offer.
0: That's right. Sin is so blinding. I mean, John ten, Jesus, will you stop? Just just tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. He goes, I have. Mm-hmm. I've raised people from the dead. I've 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 fed ten thousand or five thousand. I mean, he just goes through this list of things that I have. He says, The reason you cannot see this is that you are so blind by your sin. Yeah. What happened if, if what happened in Sodom and
3: Gomorrah No, if what happened what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah happened in Corazon, You would believe, or Capernaum. I think. Yeah. That, what's the What's the hometown that Jesus is like? Right. Those pagans over there would have got it. Yeah. But they're blinded by their own religion, and and it's so out of this world. It I it, there's a side of me where that you got you have to be gracious towards
0: these people because I could say well I would have believed but no I wouldn't. I did have someone say that to me just to close it and we'll, we'll move into the unfiltered. I did have someone say, how amazing would it be to live in the old Testament and to actually see these gifts that God, you know, spoke and all these miracles. I said, have you ever read the book of judges? <laughs> Those people did not think God was amazing. They kept turning back to their idols. The human heart is so dark. That it is why the cross is so needed on a weekly week basis. Yeah.
2: Well, as always, we hope the conversation around rally- the, Theological Octagon has been encouraging for you. Uh, we we want our conversation to always just be pushing you mm-hmm. uh, in the real toward the realization. Even as those of us who are saved, the deeper and deeper realization of our great great need for Jesus Christ. Uh, if you uh, want to share the unfiltered portion, uh, in share in the unfiltered portion, we do have a fourteen day trial.
3: And we would love to catch you on the other side. Thank you for listening to Theocast. If you'd like to contact us or find out additional information about our membership, you can do so at theocast.org.